0: Hi there, everybody. I am your host, Amy Johnson. Welcome to the Heart of Healing podcast. I just want you to know sometimes this podcast truly is a labor of love. First of all, picture this. I am podcasting today basically from the 40 year old equivalent of a children's blanket fort because I live by an Air Force base and I'm getting a ton of feedback from the jets flying over me today. And I believe this is my fifth attempt at recording this podcast because of all the feedback. I finally got all the way through the last one and I was so relieved. I realized somehow I had hit pause at about the third minute and I wasn't recording anything. So here we go. This is my sixth episode as well. So, you know, as somebody who has struggled in the past with follow through, I am incredibly proud of myself for being here for this sixth episode. And I can promise you there will be many more to come. If today is any indicator to my level of commitment, I will absolutely keep these podcasts coming. I hope your 2019 has started out fantastically. I had just a few hiccups in mind with regular life stuff, not anything having to do with me in particular, but I had a house full of sick kids and my 16 year old in particular was just hit really, really hard with it. And we found out he had an enzyme deficiency on top of some other issues. And it's something that has been kind of a struggle over the years. So it was nice to Get a solid diagnosis and and figure that out so we have a clear direction to go with him. He got a lot of gourmet meals out of the deal once he started feeling better because I just kind of wanted him to eat whatever sounded good. I said to him, Enjoy this while it lasts, kiddo, surf and turf, whatever you want. So, other than my sick kids, it's been pretty darn good so far this year. I am really proud of the way that I have been working through my anxiety. I've been doing my best to kind of push myself when I'm feeling anxiety and when I would normally just shut down and then not be productive. And of course, my anxiety would spiral even more out of control because then I'm getting behind. So last week, I talked about how I've been kind of renaming certain physical sensations and trying my best to not always refer to them as fear and anxiety. That's been really hugely helpful for me. I mean hugely. These past few episodes have been focused more around setting ourselves up for success and that's a theme that I'm going to continue with the next couple of episodes. How we can set ourselves up for success so that we can more readily pursue healing and be accepting of it and also so that we can be more productive in fulfilling our basic needs to sustain a healthy stress-free life. And I think that is so important you guys because If you are ridden with anxiety and fear, constantly living in survival mode, when you can't be productive and struggle to take care of some of your most basic needs, doing that healing work and fixing the chaos inside is going to be the last thing on your mind because you're so preoccupied with everything in your world around you and just trying to survive. That's why I really want to start with setting ourselves up for success internally and externally and diminishing that feeling of living in chaos. I think it is preemptive to and an integral part of deep, lasting healing to get the things around us in order in our world, both tangible and non tangible. So, you will notice at the beginning of this podcast, I gave myself a pat on the back for sticking with it because following through with things that get stressful or things that I promise myself I'm going to do is something that I am notoriously terrible with. If it is something I have committed to for myself, it doesn't matter if it's an enjoyable thing, more of a regular maintenance thing. I don't follow through with it. I mean, we're talking college, different career paths, attending therapy regularly, hobbies, keeping my house organized, relationships. I would either get bored and just quit Or more commonly, I would become incredibly afraid that I wouldn't succeed, or that I wouldn't be the best, and I would throw the towel in as a form of self-protection. And sometimes I would quit, and truth be told, have literally no idea why I would quit something. Like, I would almost be on autopilot, and it's really sucked, and it has prevented me from reaching levels of success with certain things. And I'm not just speaking from a career standpoint talking about so many different things in my life. I was that kid in high school who, tell me if you relate to this, your teachers were constantly telling me, I'm not living up to my potential. I think, you guys, this is another reason trauma-informed care is so important because there were so many opportunities for adults and teachers and different people to recognize that maybe there was a problem at my home. But as I've said before in another episode, I am in my 40s. So I grew up kind of in that window, that generation where kids were not taken as seriously as adults. And if kids were exhibiting problematic behavior, nobody wondered why it was happening. They just told you to stop. I was good enough in my classes that I was always in gifted classes or honors classes, but I never performed to my highest ability in those classes, not even close And one day, my AP chemistry teacher said to me, Amy, you need to stay after class. I have to talk to you. And of course, my heart was in my throat and I had extreme anxiety. And he pulled me aside and he said, Amy, you out of anyone in this class need to go to college and get a degree and change the world. But you keep screwing up in little ways that are going to prevent that from becoming a reality. And I'm very concerned with that. And I remember feeling a, incredibly angry at him and betrayed because this was a teacher that I actually admired. B, resentful and hurt because he had children my age attending my school, and from what I knew of their home life, it was very healthy, and he was a very kind, supportive dad. And I just thought, You don't even know my life. You don't know what's going on at my home. How dare you say this to me? And C, I felt completely defeated because to a certain extent, I knew that he was right and I wasn't living up to my potential and I was capable of so much more. But I was going back to a broken, dysfunctional home and chaos every night and doing homework was not something required for survival, be it emotional survival or feeling physically safe. To encapsulate all that, he did not end that conversation with giving me any way out. He did not offer any help. It was supposed to be more of a come to Jesus sort of talk. And for those of you who have been through trauma, you know that those conversations do nothing but shut you down and kind of push you away. It is a conversation that really sticks out in my mind as a pivotal time. And I wondered, why am I even still in school anyway? He's right. I'm not even remotely successful in this environment. I'm sure that was not his intended outcome, but that is the way that I perceived it. Looking back, there were signs that things were less than ideal at my home and, could have been an opportunity for that teacher or others to if not intervene at least ask me if i was okay i don't fault this teacher specifically because i think he was a product of his era and i do believe that he was actually much more in tune with his students than most of my teachers but this was a missed opportunity and there were so many like this over the years about that time i stopped attending school regularly And I had a very mature voice for my age. I became very adept at calling in for myself. And I was an eloquent speaker for a 14 or 15-year-old kid. So I would just pretend to be my mom and call in pretty regularly. And it took a long time. Like, I'm kind of proud of myself for how long it took for them to catch on. But eventually, they did catch on about my junior year. And again, instead of asking why I was missing so much school, I was just treated like a delinquent. And I got in-school suspension which just made me resent them even more for punishing me for not showing up at a place that did nothing to help me, only made me feel bad about myself, subjected me to bullying. So what did I do then? I started self-medicating and it all started with a Valium prescription. That was back when, you know, they used to give out narcotics like candy if you stubbed your toe back in the nineties, and. My mom had gotten Valium for a few dental procedures that she had had, and she was never big on taking pain meds. So she had several bottles of it, just kind of pushed to the back of the cabinet. And I was a smart kid, you know, I knew how to look things up in the Encyclopedia Britannica, letter B. <laughs> and I knew that Valium could supposedly give you some pleasant sensations. So I started sneaking them, and. Because I was living in that perpetually high-strung, anxiety-ridden, on-alert mode, and I hated that feeling with a passion, and I was so aware that this is not how the rest of the world operated, when I took opiates, I did not feel high. I felt the way I imagined the rest of the world felt. I felt calm and relaxed and capable, and I didn't care in the slightest about the stressors that were eating away at me in my regular life. Unfortunately, with that feeling also comes apathy. So... Not only did I not care about the stressors in my life, I really stopped caring about almost everything. And I became very addicted to the relief. I say to the relief, not to the drug. I think there are people who for you know whatever reason will struggle with addiction and it is a legitimate illness and it needs ongoing treatment. Then I believe there are some people that use drugs simply to escape and to self-medicate. And I'm obviously incredibly aware that there is an area in between where those things kind of cross over and overlap. So absolutely talk to a professional if you have any sort of addiction issues. I am simply sharing my personal experience but that is the slippery slope of negative coping and self-medication and where it started for me personally. If I would run out of Valium, I would turn to other drugs, other opiates. Sometimes I would even go out and just OD on fistfuls of sleeping pills or Benadryl because I was looking for downers to bring me back to that calm baseline and was also drinking super regularly. And of course, with all these behaviors comes severely impaired judgment And I found myself in some pretty precarious situations and that is putting it mildly. And of course following through with anything becomes more difficult when you are self-medicating and you have an apathetic mindset. And then that becomes your default mode, starting things and not finishing. Not only that, but I did not have follow through modeled for me. And I think this is true for a lot of people who grew up in dysfunctional homes. There is dysfunction because nine times out of ten, there has been generational abuse or trauma. So the people modeling behavior for us from a very early age are modeling unhealthy behavior. Consistency was non-existent in my home. Consistency with mood, with expectations and rules, with religion. There was a period of several years that my dad considered himself a devout Christian, followed by a period of years where he considered himself an extremely bitter, devout atheist. I mean, consistency just did not happen in my home, you guys. Any sort of regular schedule, job history, with discipline, it was like playing Russian roulette. If I was going to be disciplined for something, I would either get minimal to no punishments and I would sigh in relief, or I would be punished with fire and brimstone and it would go far beyond punishment into the realms of child abuse. So you can imagine as an adult, consistency became a source of contention for me and a huge trigger And if I'm honest, probably one of the largest things that has chipped away at my self-esteem and self-efficacy over the years. And it doesn't help that every self-help book you pick up, every podcast you listen to, every inspiring TED Talk speaker or blogger or Instagrammer, fitness coach, they will tell you the key to success is consistency. We hear this everywhere. It is drilled into my head at every turn. And it's true for people that have a healthy emotional base and no past trauma. Consistency can be a game changer for a lot of people, but as I have talked to many of my friends over the years that struggle with PTSD and complex trauma, a very common theme is that the expectation of consistency is a source of anxiety. Because we tend to have very all-or-nothing personalities, either from lack of consistency being modeled, living in survivor mode, our struggles with addiction and self-medicating, we are either 150% invested, pouring our heart and souls into a project or task or change, or we are completely disinterested or avoid something once it becomes a source of anxiety, and sometimes it's both. It's that full throttle attitude at the beginning, and then we burn out, and we don't know how to sustain such an insanely high level of investment, and we fall off the proverbial wagon. All-or-nothing mentality is not sustainable. There's no leniency when you require of yourself an all-encompassing level of commitment And then we think, well, there goes consistency, that one magical piece of the puzzle that everyone tells us we need in order to be successful. And then we throw in the towel. And then we continually avoid the thing that caused us to feel like a failure because it's a source of anxiety now. I just kept thinking my brain was actually broken, you guys, because I could not stick with anything. And the expectations I put on myself were so incredibly high and unattainable My level of investment was never sustainable long-term. It got to a point, I kid you not, that if I would hear someone talk about consistency or I would even read the word online or in a book, I would start to feel anxiety and anxiety attack because it was such a huge trigger and something I was so painfully aware that I didn't have. But the problem is that I thought I just needed to overcome my broken brain and find a way to be consistent. I bought the book, The Power of Habit, thinking that this book would help me be consistent. And I can tell you from what I read of it, it's actually a fantastic book and a great read, but I needed to be more evolved in my healing journey when I read it back then. At the time I read it, it just left me feeling like it was another thing I couldn't finish. And by the way, I didn't finish the book. I did get most of the way through it, so I feel confident in giving it a solid endorsement. But you know how people say The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Eventually, I kind of had this epiphany that I couldn't just become consistent overnight. It wasn't in me. And instead of telling myself that I was broken and belittling myself with degrading thoughts, I started talking to my other friends who had been through trauma and asking them if this is something they struggle with. And lo and behold... Almost every single one of them not only said yes, but gave me a resounding emotional yes. So instead of pushing myself to be consistent and faulting myself when I would fall short, I decided to look at my past and why I wasn't consistent. And of course, that's when I started realizing it was never modeled for me. And I was actually taught inconsistency from an early age. And I was also held to incredibly high perfectionist standards in some aspects of my home life and school life as a kid, but I was not set up for success at home. So when I didn't live up to those standards because I was actually sabotaged, I was degraded and punished and belittled. So all I was doing was recreating this pattern in my adult life that had been taught to me so well. And I thought to myself, how can I change this? How can I become consistent? And then I had that classic light bulb moment after several days, weeks, months of thinking on this subject. And I thought, I don't have to be consistent right now. The thing that is more important than consistency and is going to start me on the right path and is going to help me heal is persistency. And it truly is different. Consistency is doing things or thinking things the same way repeatedly over time. Consistency is a very regular, habitual thing. Persistency is defined as continuing something steadfastly or firmly in a state or course of action. So here's the difference put into practice. Say you have a self-help book you want to finish. In the world of consistency, you would read that book for one hour every morning until you finish it. But if you're someone struggling with what many of us refer to as trauma brain and you miss one day you call yourself a failure, you get frustrated, and that book sits on your nightstand mocking you and you don't touch it again because it's the source of your anxiety. Now let's look at the same task with a persistency viewpoint. A persistency viewpoint involves being more forgiving and accepting of your current state and your habits. So you don't tell yourself, I'm gonna read that book for one hour every day until I finish. You tell yourself, I'm going to keep going back to that book Whenever I feel that I have spare time and I remember to do it until I finish the book. And if it takes you six months or a year to finish that book, instead of the two weeks, it would take someone who's practicing consistency. That is totally fine. And you are doing amazingly. Rachel Hollis is one of my favorite podcasters. I totally have to give her a shout out. And I know a lot of people love her. I have four or five that I listen to super regularly and hers is right at the top. And she talks about defaulting to your highest level of training. And I think that is so applicable in this particular situation. If our highest level of training is quitting things because we aren't approaching them in a way that works with our current set of habits, that becomes the pattern and the standard that we live up to. So we need to change that highest level of training by not only just pushing through, but being forgiving and telling ourselves it's okay to get busy or unmotivated and not want to touch that book for two weeks or a month. And you're not a failure for putting it on hold. And eventually you're going to finish a task. If you relieve yourself of that guilt and that pressure, and when you finish that task, that first small thing, that becomes your new highest level of training. And her podcast on this topic is actually one of the handful of things that got me thinking about the persistency mindset over consistency. I would also like to point out that if you are a survivor of complex trauma, if you have been through trauma and loss and heartache as a repeat pattern in your life, think to yourself for a minute how incredibly familiar you already are with persistency. Because I'm going to get a little emotional here for a second, it takes a special kind of incredibly strong person to be consistent and get up and glue the broken pieces together over and over again in spite of feeling immense pain and in spite of having to climb mountains before you even get to the starting line that many people were born at. You are already persistent, You already possess the key to change and to overcome your trauma and to heal. You just need to take that inner strength and that determination and apply it to thriving and healing and not just surviving. Thank you guys so much for listening. As I said, going forward these next few weeks, I'm really going to be breaking down and focusing on setting ourselves up for success. This is where I'm personally at in my healing journey right now. And I think it's a great way to ring in the new year. And I encourage you to keep the momentum going past the beginning of the year. Join a Facebook group, find an accountability partner. If you have the budget to hire a therapist or coach, Just keep that healing journey momentum going. That is all I have for today, and I will see you guys next week.